invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. We're actually going to continue, resume what we took a kind of a break over the Advent Christmas season. And so we're actually going to return to 2 Timothy for the next couple of weeks. And so our scripture reading today will be uh, 2 Timothy chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And so here's uh, the word of God from Paul to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us. And called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome... He searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is the reading of God's word. And we say, thanks be to God. Indeed, God, having heard your word now, we pray that in these next few moments as we reflect on what the Apostle Paul's message to Timothy was and what your what your scripture's message uh, is for us today, 
we pray that you help us to to see with new eyes and to hear um, with our ears the wonderful things that you have for us in this in this passage and may they encourage and convict and challenge us and cause us to walk uh, in accordance with the life of your son Jesus and it's in his name we pray and all God's people said amen and amen so we are back to our uh, series on entrusted with the gospel and we're Continuing on these, what are they called? The uh, pastoral, they're often referred to as the pastoral letters. And so just as a reminder, it's been several weeks since we finished 1 Timothy. Um, They're referred to as the pastoral letters, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, because they're written by the Apostle Paul to ministers to help them in the organizing of the church. And so they're often referenced as the pastoral epistles. But what we saw with 1 Timothy is that, that... in 1 Timothy, although it was addressed to Timothy by the Apostle Paul as he was in the church of Ephesus, the whole church kind of was overhearing this. And so it was kind of like it was to be read to the entire congregation, even though it was directed to Timothy. When we get to 2 Timothy, it's a little more personal, a little more directly. There's no hints in the letter itself that it was written for the entire congregation. Furthermore, um, This is written late in the Apostle Paul's life. He mentions here in a couple of places his chains or being imprisoned. And this is not the imprisonment that we find the Apostle Paul in at the end of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. That's a different imprisonment. He was actually released from prison after that, continued his ministry for some time. This is his final imprisonment in Rome as he is awaiting execution. This letter is written... It's dated probably right around 67 AD. The Apostle Paul was martyred, executed under Nero, and Nero's reign ends in 68. So this this letter was probably one of the last letters that the Apostle Paul wrote. And and it was written shortly before he was about ready to die. Even, indeed, as we get later into the book, you'll see, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. So this takes on some... uh, some strong poignancy as these are like the last words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And you see the emotion in that, even as in the first opening, in the opening verses. Uh, but a reminder here, remember, Acts chapter 16 is where we first meet the, uh, where, the, where we first are introduced to Timothy. Paul is on one of his missionary journeys, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. He went to some towns of uh, Derby and, and Lystra, and there was a disciple there named Timothy. The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So mother and grandmother are Jewish. We're introduced to them in the reading this morning. His father was Greek, probably was not raised to be circumcised, but he had come Uh, raised in his mother was jewish so he was officially jewish but he was not circumcised ends up becoming a christian and the apostle paul takes him on his missionary journeys and as we saw uh, months ago when we first looked at this the apostle paul meets timothy this is uh late 40s early 50s somewhere around there the the apostle or the timothy uh this disciple timothy is as we've noted he's perhaps a teenager 
maybe even 17 to 20 years old. Well, 2 Timothy is written in 67. That means he's known Timothy for two decades, almost 20 years. And so there's a great deal of poignancy here in his words to him. Where he calls him my beloved child in verse 2. And then he gives thanks to God. It's how he opens. I give thanks to God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears. I long to see you that, we, that I may be filled with joy. We don't, we don't know the, the nature of, of Timothy's tears. But Timothy is clearly crying. Perhaps he's in sorrowing or in suffering in service. Perhaps he's struggling in his faith. And the Apostle Paul is reminding him to continue on, to carry on. He reminds him at, at the beginning here of his faith. He wants to remind him of how God has worked in his life. Right? He says, I, I'm, I'm, I remember your tears. Timothy is suffering here, perhaps suffering in ministry for the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul says, at, from prison, he says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, verse 5, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Wow, what an encouragement. The Apostle Paul in prison, a face facing execution, hearing of Timothy and his grief, whatever that is, we're not told. And he writes to encourage him and to remind him of your faith. To Timothy, I just remember how the Lord has worked in your life from the very beginning when I met you 20 years ago. Do you sometimes grieve in this life and suffer in the Christian walk? Well, that's normal. That's going to happen. And, and beware of any teachers that would tell you that it's, that's, uh, that it's not going to happen. That once you become a Christian, everything is joyful and, and positive. No, you if you are going to remain faithful to Christ in this life, you're going to suffer and experience hardship. And, and, and in those moments, it might be helpful to hear the word of the Apostle Paul. Remember what the Lord has done in your life. When you're struggling and in difficulty, remember what the Lord has done for you. Go back to the beginning of your faith. Like the Apostle Paul did. Go back. Remember the beginning? Remember how you were sitting as we see later in this letter? He talks about how he heard the word preached to him from his mother and his grandmother. Just kind of picture him sitting as a child, sitting there hearing the scriptures being told to him. So maybe you need some encouragement today. Just go back and remember the ways in which the Lord worked in your life. I know for a fact that wasn't in my sermon notes. This could be an you know, the advantage of not having my sermon notes here. So that's the, kind of the set up what's happening here with the Apostle Paul. And so if I could give kind of the main point, the main point that he's, he's going to do through this entire passage. And then I have a couple of other lessons drawn from this. Here's the main point. Stand firm for the gospel and be willing to suffer for the sake of it. 
Overall, that's Paul's message here in the next two chapters. So we'll look at kind of charge number one related to this this week, and Lord willing, we'll meet next week. So that's the main thing. The main message of this letter is stand firm for the gospel and be willing to suffer for the sake of it. Here's his first charge. After he reminds him, I'm reminded of a sincere faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now you, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. And so he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and in self-control. And I think of this when Paul is penning this, he is awaiting execution and he can sit there and say, we don't have a spirit of fear. If anybody should be afraid, I mean, facing beheading or execution or what was going to come Paul's way. That is what he's facing. And he goes, I don't do so with any fear. And Timothy, neither should you. And so he gives him this charge to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. As we saw, the laying on of hands, that's that's kind of the sign or the symbol of somebody being ordained for ministry like Timothy was. And there's a connection between this and him receiving a spirit. It says a spirit in lowercase. Some translations have it as the Holy Spirit, which I think is true. We we have been given the Holy Spirit as a gift and the uh, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And then we've also been given gifts by the spirit. And Paul is telling Timothy, charging him. In the face of suffering for the gospel, uh, as you suffer for it, just remember to fan into flame the gifts that have been given to you by the Holy Spirit. Fan those into flame. I love that word picture. Um, anybody who's been around me from a campfire? Show of hands, who's been around me with on a campfire? Okay, okay, you keep your hands up if you, if you want here. Okay, how many of you have gone, oh, there he goes, touching and messing with the fire again. Yes, right. He's a, you're a fire fiddler. Quit playing with a fire. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's biblical. I'm fanning into flames. I always like to gather the coals around, flip the log over to keep the fire going. And I hope that one day you all will appreciate how much work I do in putting that together. But I'm a fire fiddler. And I love that picture because the, as the coals are spread around and the fire kind of dwindles out, the shirt's giving off heat. But the Apostle Paul is here giving this picture of fanning this into flame. You got to give oxygen there. The sum of it, why it's not burning is because you need to pump some oxygen underneath. You need to roll the logs over to get to the other side. Fan it into flame. Don't suffocate the fire. That's what the Apostle Paul, love this image that he gives. It says, so what you do with the gifts that God has given you by the Spirit, don't don't squelch them. Don't suffocate them. Don't throw a wet blanket over them. Instead, look for ways to nourish, nurture it. Perhaps some of you are like, yeah, what, what, how is it that God has equipped me to, to serve? What, what way can I serve? Maybe you need to, to figure that out and gather those coals together and pump some oxygen into it so that that you, your service to Christ could be augmented by the Spirit doing this and working through you. And then notice the basis. The basis in all of this is your, your sincere faith. 
And then notice as well that this is this is given by the spirit. The spirit empowers us for this kind of work, not a spirit of fear, but of power, love and self-control. So stand firm for the gospel, be willing to suffer for the sake of it. And believers, here's the point related to that. Believers are to nurture and grow the gift given by God. Growth in the Christian life is not passive, it's active. Paul tells Timothy, fan it. But, but it's the Spirit that does the work. Yes, but fan the work of the Spirit. Give all the credit to the work of the Holy Spirit doing this in you. But you are to fan it into flame. It's, there's a, an engagement on our part. We don't sit by and say, I'll just wait for the Spirit to move. So nurture and grow the gift given you by God. And then the next thing that Paul says is suffering in ministry or suffering for serving Christ is to be expected. Verses 10 through 12a. Well, actually, let's read verse 11. Therefore, do not, or verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then look down to um, verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and then this is what I want you to notice here. He, he tells him in verse 8, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay? And then he goes through this thing that we're going to come back to in a moment. And then he comes back to that topic of the gospel in verse, the end of verse 10, through the gospel. And he says, of that gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher... Which is why I suffer as I do. The Apostle Paul specifically says, the reason that I suffer. Well, first he says to Timothy, I want to encourage you to share in my suffering. It's good to share in my suffering because suffering in ministry is to be expected, Timothy. And share in my suffering. You know that I'm suffering because I'm in prison awaiting execution under Nero. And so you know that I am suffering. And he goes, why am I suffering? Because of the gospel. Through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teachers. And that is why I suffer as I do. Paul says, I suffer because of the gospel. And that's, that's to be expected. Friends, you're going to suffer in ministry. You're going to suffer in your various callings and vocations that you have. If you're going to attempt to serve Christ in the ways that he's equipped you and, and gifted you or placed you by his providence, you are going to experience suffer for doing, suffering for doing so. So anticipate that. And as we're going to see, there's, there's a great deal of embarrassment or shame that is typically associated with that. Notice, did you catch how many times the Apostle Paul referenced uh, being ashamed? He tells him in verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. He says of himself, he goes, I'm not ashamed. Right? 
This is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed in verse 12, for I know whom I believed. And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So, Timothy, you're going to experience suffering in ministry. It is to be expected. Paul had a lot of sufferings. There's a couple of um, scripture verses. Um, Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is recounting to the Corinthian church an example of his kind of sufferings. He says, imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the cities, in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. And what an interesting capstone to that entire list, right? Like you're sitting here going beatings, imprisonments, being stoned, adrift at sea overnight. How many of that have happened to you? And then the capstone behind all of this, and, and I'm anxious for my churches. I'm like, well, that's the only one I can identify with, right? Like, and he says, and that's like kind of the capstone. There's a joke in my family about how many jobs I've had, you know, and what are we at now? 50. It's over 50 different jobs I've had in my life. Um, and so all of these, are, I'll tell you what, the hardest one is being a pastor. It's, it's the greatest one. It's the best one, but it's the hardest one. It's the hardest one. And I stacked melons out in the California desert at 110 degrees and um, many of you don't know that job, my summer job. So I can understand with what the Apostle Paul is saying. And he says, but you know what? Just expect that. You're going to expect that. You're going to have the difficulty and hardship in, your, in this life. But the Apostle Paul says, the gospel is powerful enough to sustain you who suffer for it. So I have to kind of go back a couple slides here. The gospel itself sustains you as you suffer for it. The gospel itself sustains you as you suffer for it. Because as we just saw, he says, he says, Timothy, share in my suffering, verse 8. And he goes, and this is why I suffer it for the gospel. And then I love it in the middle of that whole thing. The apostle Paul cannot help himself. He does this. Sometimes we read through it and we forget like what he's doing here. Sometimes he just launches into an entire list of a whole bunch of uh, a gospel doctrines that are just sometimes summarized in even just a word. And it's just really beautiful. So stop and think about what he does here in the middle of that. Hey, Timothy, share in my suffering for the gospel. I suffer because of the gospel. And let me just insert the gospel right here in between for you. Notice verse nine, right? He says, share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, right? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. If the gospel is the power of God for salvation, then the gospel is the power of God to sustain you as you suffer for it. The gospel, the power of God, by the way, the gospel is sometimes the good news. 
Some people say the good news of the gospel, which is kind of redundancy because that's the same thing. The gospel is the good news. The good announcement. Euangelion is the Greek word. It's where you know, you've heard of evangelism or uh, evangelicals. That's the, that's the idea. We're good news people. The gospel. And then notice what he says here. Verse 9. Who saved us. Whoa, stop there. You can read right past that. Who saved us. God, who saved us. The power of God, who saved us. Yes. God saved you. What does he save you from? Just an, an unfulfilled life? Well, yes, but way more than that. What does he save you from? Just from yourselves? No, he saves you from sin. He saves you from wrath. His wrath. He saves you from hell. He saves you from eternal torment. God saves you. So gospel, salvation, he saved us. And then this, called us to a holy calling. Calls us to holiness and obedience as a result of that. And then how does he do this? Purely by his grace and grace alone. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. You're saved. If somebody were to say, you're, you're, sa- you're saved, you're a Christian, yes, I'm saved. What, why, uh, on account of what? On account of the grace of God. Be, grace be to God and to him alone. And you would, and so some would say, well, so does that mean like, so you, did you, did you come to believe? Oh, yes, I believed. I truly, I, I received and rested in Christ. But that's not a good work. That's nothing that I have done. He saved me by his grace. Well, what you're saying, it sounds like a little bit of like election, like he chose you. And you would say, yes, he did. Well, that sounds like arrogant, like God would choose you. But he didn't have any reason to choose me. So that's no, there's, there's no bragging on that part. As a matter of fact, it's the most humbling of things. That God would save me when I didn't, didn't earn it or deserve it in the slightest. Which gets to the next point, the next word there, election. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Purpose, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is echoing what Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter one. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So election. And then how? Well, by the incarnation and crucifixion of the son and resurrection of the son. Verse 10. And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus. Who abolished death. How did he abolish death? 
by conquering death, by dying, and then rising again from the dead by the power of God. How did he, how did he abolish death on the cross? The most ugly and uh, brutal form of execution ever devised by sinful human beings. And Christ endured that according to his plan, according to the foreknowledge of God. He suffered that way, which, which when you zoom out, you go, hey, Timothy, share in the suffering that I'm experiencing for the gospel. And I suffered for the gospel. And by the way, in this gospel, our Savior suffered. So neither you nor I are exempt. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So not only the crucifixion on the cross and the resurrection, but eternal life given to every single one who rests and receives in Christ, who believe in him and receive, who receive in Christ and believe in his name. Oh, that every one of you would see the beauty of this amazing good news and you would trust. You would just relinquish all attempts to try and gain God's favor and just realize all of the favor has been purchased for me because of the grace of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul just inserts that whole gospel right there. I mean, again, don't it, read slowly through scripture. Read slowly. And he says, because of that, I was appointed a preacher and a teacher of that and an apostle. And that's why I suffer. But I'm not ashamed because I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. And so here's the exact exhortation back to Timothy in light of all of that. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words you have heard from me. I'm leaving. I'm going to be killed. I may not see you again. I hope to. But in case I don't. Take the words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, guard that good deposit. Guard the gospel. And I mentioned this earlier, but suffering for the gospel is nothing to be ashamed of. So I mentioned that a couple of times. He mentions the shame. Do not. He tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And he goes, and I am not ashamed. Because I know who I have believed. And lastly, let's look at a couple of examples here. So there's this mix of like remaining strong and standing firm and being faithful to the gospel and also suffering. And here. In verses 15 through 18, we have a couple of examples, one negative and one positive of that very thing. The suffering that could come by remaining strong and firm and standing on the gospel. Here's the first negative example, verse 15. And to preface this to say suffering because uh, you might experience suffering because people betray you. Suffering because people betray you is common in serving Christ. Verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. 
among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Okay, that's all he says there. Timothy, you understand. In the middle of this discussion about remaining strong and steadfast over the gospel, even in the face of suffering, just I want you to know a way that I am not just suffering by being imprisoned. I'm, I'm in suffering because I've been turned away from by, by all who are in Asia, he says. And we don't know anything about Phagellus or Homogenes elsewhere from Scripture. We know nothing about them. And if you read it, it doesn't quite have uh, the, the same kind of... Um, how do I say? It doesn't have quite the same kind of uh, strong words against them like he does for some of the other people in his, the pastoral letters, like those who had denied the faith. He just kind of mentions them in passing that I've been abandoned. So the sense is the sense is that maybe these guys are not like false teachers, like some of the others that he mentions in the pastoral epistles by name. These are just brothers who just abandoned him, just abandoned him. And that's all that's said. And I hear, so I see this and I'm like, why is that here? Why is this here in this entire passage about suffering for the gospel? Is, well, you're going to, uh, you might get experienced suffering from, from people abandoning you just because you remain strong and firm on the gospel. It happened to Paul. There's no strong words of condemnation against Phagellus and Hermogenes. He's just saying, they left me. Perhaps they succumb to the very thing that Paul is telling Timothy not to do. Don't be ashamed of me. Maybe they were ashamed. And of course, that's perhaps a very common experience. If you're thrown into jail, right, in a time when there's no social media, you go, what's going on? Paul, can you text him? You know, what's going on? You hear this from word of mouth. Paul's been arrested. He's, he's, a, he's an insurrectionist. It's designed to shame him. And so perhaps that's exactly what Phagellus and Hermogenes goes, man, that's, that's too, he's too toxic. That's the negative example. But look at the positive example that he gives in verses 16 and 18. Immediately, it's like he's reflecting on Phagellus and Hermogenes, and he's like, oh, but Onesiphorus. I had to practice that word a lot this week. Onesiphorus. Verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus. For he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Right? The, the, Paul in chains is by design. It's to shame him and perhaps to shame the gospel and perhaps to shame other people into, uh, uh, to avoid them from believing in the gospel. And he says, but Anisiphorus, he shows up. And he refreshed me and... Uh, and was not ashamed of my chains, verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Remember, Paul, Timothy was, uh, was appointed by the Apostle Paul to serve in Ephesus to keep watch over everything that was happening in the church there. And guess who shows up to help? Onesiphorus. 
He shows up to help. And then when he finds out that the Apostle Paul is in prison, he gets, he gets on a boat. Or he gets, and he goes from Ephesus to Rome. And he searches until he can find, find Paul and visits him in prison. Yes, you may suffer because people will betray you for serving Christ. However, being sustained by fellow believers is also a common blessing in serving Christ. And so if you are ever abandoned by someone for remaining strong in the gospel, don't dwell on it too long. Paul gave him one verse. Don't dwell on it too long. Instead, spend three verses thinking about the ones who've sustained you. Don't hang around with, you know, Figelis and Hermogenes too long. Mention it. Let it go. And then go, but you know what? Oh, yeah. Onesiphorus. So that's a challenge to you, as if you're experiencing suffering for this. Remember those who are faithful to you and remain by your side. And I love how twice the Apostle Paul says, may the Lord grant him mercy. Which is interesting. He doesn't say it, say it to Phygelus and Hermogenes. Not that he wouldn't, I don't imagine. But to the one who he has been refreshed by, he says, oh, Lord, be merciful to him. Be merciful to him. So, brothers and sisters, you're going to experience suffering for the gospel. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be, you don't have to be the Apostle Paul to experience this. You don't only have to be a, a Timothy to experience this. You're going to experience this. And so I would encourage you to take encouragement from the Apostle Paul himself. And what you could do to, to remain strong and steadfast for the gospel in the face of suffering. Remember, it's going to come. It's going to happen. And when you do, be strengthened by the very gospel you're standing firm on. And if you are abandoned or turned away from by some, remember the work that the Lord has done in your, in your, your history. Remember the people who brought you to faith. Like Lois and Eunice, remember them. And then remember those who are refreshing you and sustaining you now. Amen. May the Lord have mercy on you all as well. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It really, truly is a blessing that you have written these down for our instruction and for our blessing. And oh, the, the, the wonderful depths of grace that we receive from reading it and studying it and knowing it. What a privilege it is that we can have your word but even more, what a privilege it is that this word testifies to, and that is about our Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel of his life and death and resurrection. So we ask you help us to remain strong in that gospel, to remember that it is purely by grace and that you do indeed call us to walk in holiness and obedience to you. Because you sent your son to suffer and die for us and to rise again to give us life and immortality to live with you forever. And so help us to not be fearful or to be ashamed, but to be strong and steadfast, even in the face of suffering. And we ask this in Christ's mighty name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand for our, our closing benediction this morning.
Now may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Thank you.